welcome back, everyone, to the NASPA Leadership Podcast. On today's episode, we are speaking with Jen Wallach, who is Director of Education and Leadership Initiatives at Alpha Chi Omega and is a former campus student involvement professional. Freddie Juarez is the Director of Fraternity and Sorority Life at Florida State University, a member of Beta Theta Pi, and actively volunteers with the Southeastern Greek Leadership Association as the Director of Education, and Bianca Williams, who serves as the Director of Leadership and Education at Beta Theta Pi Fraternity, a role where she oversees the design and implementation of educational programming and resources. All three of these fine folks have also oodles of experience with various professional associations, fraternity sorority life international organizations, and the leadership learning and development initiatives within the area of fraternity and sorority life across really the nation and internationally. So Brittany, do you want to share a little more about why you've invited these folks to join us today? Yeah. So echoing what you just said, I mean, just beyond beyond experienced professionals, practitioners, um, scholars in many ways. Um, in that regard, and and will come through in the questions that we pose them to. But um, really, I think when we when you and I are thinking about context, right? This is certainly a context, it's a functional area, um, and in the most kind of foundational ways, a functional area of student affairs that is a different context than others, right? Um, but you and I both having our own fraternity and sorority experiences um, throughout our careers too, just know the deep, critical, wonderful leadership education that can happen in these spaces. Um, in particular, with these three. And our experience with them, just so much I've learned as a leadership educator from them and their approaches and their design um, and the ways that they intersect just, um, you know, student development theory and leadership theory, but also, you know, user-centered designs and I just all kinds of things that I learned from them, curriculum design, pedagogies, um, all the ways to, so, um, you know, being a, a an NPC sorority member of um, Delta 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 and having worked as a house director before, um, help with chapter volunteering, campus-based FSL facilitations, national FSL facilitations. Um, I just feel like I've seen some stuff, right, in the FSL world. <laughs> like I've been I've been around the block a minute um, to see when this is done well, the profound impact it can have um, on not only the quote unquote Greek community, um, but student affairs, extracurriculars, co-curriculars, campus climates. I mean, um, they certainly have profound impacts when done really, really well. And when we know when it doesn't go so well, also not so good. So I think that these folks are just people that we can learn a lot from. I love that. As someone who identifies as a um, Greek community member, as a member of Kappa Alpha Theta and certainly has tons of, we, we both have tons of friends in, mm-hmm. even in the world of leadership education of connections to the fraternity story life world. And, um, I don't get to engage in that space a lot at this point in my career. Um, but certainly have deep love and respect for it as well as feel tension and challenge with it a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think you're right. I think these three also, um, are, are doing the work in a complex and critical ways that sit in that tension and, and, and acknowledge and lean into it and, and want to make people and places better within those communities. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited. For Me us too. To and I think also we, when we talk, we always ask leadership origin stories, right? Like we're on our what ninth episode now um, yeah. and always ask people their origin stories. And I think oftentimes maybe people forget that a lot of folks in some capacity, at least the ones that we get to work with very often have some touch point with the Virginia Sorority Committee community, um, whether it's undergrad or again, facilitations or other volunteer roles, or maybe they had to um, do similar to, we know Jen's story, uh, the 
student involvement that includes that is one of like seven things they do um but people often leave that out of their their origin stories right because they forget about um how much leadership learning happens again especially in a peer-to-peer leadership which i'm so fascinated by in the peer-to-peer that leads to generative outcomes and i just think there's so much that we can learn um from the cultures and um connections and ways of being of these really uh, student-run programs that um, have some guidance from advisors and other things too at the national and campus level. But but the day-to-day offerings of these shoppers are um, places where a lot of leadership learning goes for uh, for better, for worse, right? Like a lot of leadership learning and development happens in that peer-to-peer model. Sure. Let's get into it. Let's do it. All right, welcome back, everyone. We're so excited to get started. Um, guess if you could please introduce yourselves. Let's do name, pronouns, uh, your current role in your work, plus any general affiliations with fraternity and sorority life work. Just kind of what's what's been your your story there, and then in what ways are you a leadership educator? How did you get here? Or maybe what's your origin story related to leadership education? Who would like to go first? I'm happy to go ahead and kick us off. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Avianca Williams, she, her, ella pronouns. Um, my current role is the Director of Leadership and Education at Beta Theta Pi Fraternity. I've been in that role, I'm in what, day 44 of, of that role, um, really enjoying that opportunity. Um, before that, though, I've I've done quite a few things related to leadership development. Um, I started off in a nonprofit organization where I did work with high school, middle school, and community organizations focused on leadership development and diversity, equity, and inclusion topics. Um, I have worked, I worked on a campus as a fraternity sorority um, campus-based advisor for uh, 16 years. And in that, I had the opportunity to work with all of our councils in some way, shape, or form, whether it was doing leadership development activities with them, coaching and advising them, um, you know, helping out with their events, um, you name it. I've done it with, you know, whether it's our MPHC, um, our MGC, or traditionally MGC um, umbrella groups, um, or multicultural group council, sorry, uh, groups. Um, I've also, you know, had the opportunity to facilitate different programs, such as the Undergraduate Interfraternity Institute, mm, yeah. Act, which is a campus-based program, um, and have worked with different national organizations in their um, leadership development programs, like my own Alpha Chi Omega, um, but also um, Delta Gamma, Beta Theta Pi, and in fact, that's how I got involved with Beta <laughs> through through their Wooden Institute and their chapter president's leadership academy. Um, And so as I think about like, how am I a leadership educator? um, I think first of all, I consider myself, my professional identity to be an educator first, right? And so what I'm doing as a leadership educator is I'm thinking about what does it mean to be a leader and then spending time writing curriculum, spending time having conversations that are focused on those leadership concepts, whether it's interpersonal communication, emotional intelligence, um, or 
you know, just creating community and making sure that we're creating inclusive spaces. Those are to me, all aspects of leadership. Um, and so what I do is I intermingle those aspects into um, whatever it is that I'm facilitating, communicating, writing curricula about um, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit about me and how I got here. Thank you. Who's up? <laughs> I'm happy to go. Thank you for having us. Um, I'm Jen Wallach, uh, she, her, hers pronouns. And I, in my current role, I'm the director of education and leadership initiatives for Alpha Chi Omega. Um, I have been at Alpha Chi Omega almost 10 years. So it'll be 10 years this July, which feels absolutely wild. Um, had some progressive experience there, but um, have been in my current role for, I think I'm going into my fourth year in my current role. Um, and in that work, really provide support and oversight to our education and leadership initiatives team. We do everything from that leadership education piece to um, Alpha Chi Omega's domestic violence awareness work, which is our national philanthropy. We also, our team also focuses um, on our diversity, equity, inclusion work. So lots of experiences and things that we kind of have a hand in for Alpha Chi Omega members. Um, as far as my kind of journey to that, I am an Alpha Chi Omega, I joined in uh, 2006. And I think that that really, I can pinpoint the like trajectory of my experience to that and really had some great mentors and supervisors when I was interning in the fraternity and sorority life office, my senior year of undergraduate, uh, my undergraduate work. Um, and in that role, I really supported not only our MPC uh, Panhellenic organizations, but also our national Panhellenic organizations um, and our fraternity, IFC fraternity men on campus. So really that was kind of that critical, like I might want to do this as a profession because I don't know that I knew that was a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so like Bianca have also had the opportunity to volunteer and facilitate and work with other organizations, which I think is one of the really special things about our field that we have the opportunities to kind of do those things. So have feel very fortunate to have volunteered for MPC, also have facilitated impact UIFI, um, also facilitated for Delta Gamma. So really just feel it fortunate that folks asked me to show up in those spaces. Um, Cause I say often that no one would care about Alpha Chi Omega if there weren't other groups too, right? Like we all, we all win when we all win. Mm -hmm. So um, feel very fortunate to do this work. And I think that leadership education is evolving. <laughs> um, you know, I think because I've been doing this work now for 10 plus years, I'm fortunate to have seen the shift in, in what we focus on for our leaders. Um, you know, it is absolutely still those really critical, you know, but soft skills, but it is also this idea that we, uh, our leaders are whole people. And so I am happy to have seen the shift in the last handful of years into this idea of we need to be empathetic. We need to, you know, there's, there's some like softer skill development that is also leadership. Um, you know, how do we hold our sisters accountable, but do that in an informal way, right? It doesn't all have to be some standardized process and how do we show up for each other? And also how do we take care of ourselves? You know, so I think from a holistic perspective, we're being challenged about what being a leader means um, and to do our work better and differently. And I think that that is really exciting. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. 
Sweet. Well, I, I will go next. Uh, my name is Freddie Juarez, and I, my pronouns are he, him, his. Um, I am the director for Transfer Life here at Florida State University. And um, I've been at Florida State now for over 10 years. Um, I just hit the 10-year mark at 2013. So what became a, I'm only going to be in Tallahassee, Florida for two years, has evolved <laughs> to a lot more. Yeah. And so, and here we are, right? So I've been throughout the course of my kind of 10 years at Florida State, I've done lots of different pieces within Fraternity Sorority Life, um, from advising um, mostly Hellenic sororities and our Multicultural Greek Councils uh, Fraternities and Sororities, and then recently evolved into also helping a lot with our National Hellenic Council or MPAC D9 organizations and our Interfraternity Council. Um, and throughout that time, I've volunteered with several different organizations, um, most predominantly my work, I've been working with a lot of the regional conferences. And so what was formerly known the Collegiate um, Women's Leadership uh, kind of conference, I've been working with them for a long time before, um, you know, post-COVID started shifting over to the Southeastern Greek Leadership Association. So still in that regional space throughout the majority of the time working with our speakers and educational programs. Um, so thinking about our curriculum and conference style learning uh, and institute style learning. We've also volunteered with different national organizations, just like our other two presenters are. So I've done lots of different work from all different kind of sorts of places, from all the way from the Leadership Institute, all the way down to UIFI and um, several national organizations volunteering as well, um, as well as my own fraternity, um, Beta Theta Pi, and working with um, either as an advisor during some periods of time, house corporation, all sorts of, of different pieces. So anytime that someone asks me to help, I typically say yes. Um, which, you know, we can unpack another day, but mm -hmm. whether that's good or not, but here we are. That sounds um, familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think from the leadership educator perspective, I think my origin is actually came from, you know, I went to, um, I think it was Beta's Wooden Institute when I went there and I came back and I was like, wow, that was pretty awesome. Like, I wish everybody could do that. And then um, one of our, uh, one of our fraternity brothers, actually one of our founding fathers, he passed away uh, unexpectedly and tragically. And, um, you know, he, right before he was an, an advisor for us. And one of the things that we were talking about before, he said, Freddie, you know, I think fraternity is imperfect. And he said, um, but there's a there's a whole there's a lot of potential for fraternity and sorority to do better. And, mm -hmm. you know, so he looked at me and he said, just promise me you're not going to give up on them. And even though when they drive you insane and I said, that's. <laughs> So that was the last words. That was the last brother he spoke to before he passed. And um, that was something that was really hard for all of us to grapple. And so I remember that conversation kind of in that after processing his loss and everything with our group. And I was looking at that and saying, what if I could do something that because leadership, at least when I was being taught, it was about social change and creating better organizations. It was like, why not fraternity and sorority? What that that is makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. and so I said, so undergraduate Freddie was like, I could build a retreat. I could build a leadership retreat. I could do this. Right. And so um, did a deep dive and lots of uh, my, by, my, mind you, my major at the time I was on the pre-med track. And so I was like <laughs> inorganic chemistry in all, like my whole world was like left brain, all science and lab. And then like all this soft stuff, I was like, what, what is all this? Like, I've never heard of communication skills. Um, that's not what my lab professor says. And so um, I did a lot of research, though, because I had, had come from that background. So I'm like, all right, let me just dive in and learned a lot about everything that was going on in the leadership field at that time and then built a weekend institute curriculum. And um, and I was somewhere 
I think it was, I was talking to our Greek life advisor and she said, what is something cool you did? And I said, oh, look, I'm really proud of this. And it was like a 30 page curriculum, like uh, actual lead facilitator uh, thing. And she's like, you made this? I said, yeah, she said, where did you find it? I said, well, you know, I, the internet, um, like leadership theories by Freddie, basically. A, a, a and so she laughed and she walked me over to their director for leadership and service. Um, and, uh, uh, and she kind of sat me down and said, like, you had like no basis of theory. It's like anything that's on the internet was free game. That's all I know. <laughs> um, and then she's like, oh, this is, this is fun. So she's like, I assume you want to do this again next year. It's like, yes, I do. So then she said, all right, we're going to start like class. And so she gave me the handbook for student leadership development, that big yellow book. Mm -hmm. said, I need you to read mm -hmm. everything. So I, <laughs> I was like, okay. So I started reading the book and I was like, wow, this is pretty awesome. And so I read the whole thing in like a couple of days or like two or three days. And I came back and said, all right, I'm done. What next? And she's like, that's, uh, she's like, wow, that's, that's crazy. Like, why, how'd you do that? Like, what? <laughs> and I was like, no, I really liked it. And then that's when the whole student affairs thing, you know, caught on. But, um, that was, I think my origin of leadership kind of story of leadership could be a vehicle for change within fraternities and sororities. And, um, that's actually what really how I got here today, you know, is very analogous to, in 2017, when when Florida State was kind of faced with this, should fraternities and sororities be here as a result of a hazing death? I I we brought in leadership education and leadership frameworks, actually not public health model frameworks, um, and we were told we were crazy, mm -hmm. uh, and be, for doing that. But again, it went back to undergraduate Freddie's same comment of if leadership education or leadership is about creating a better world, and we can define what that looks like. How is that not synonymous with fraternity and sorority? Um, and as a vehicle to create organizational change within fraternities and sororities. And that's kind of how I view myself a leadership educator is because everything that we do is about creating that and building that. Um, and so it's a different frame shift than what sometimes you hear at most of our national organization conferences. Um, that's, so that's kind of my origin story of where I'm coming from. You know, it's it's funny, Freddie, because I'm hearing you say this and I'm thinking about part of my origin story is, you know, after college, I was not necessarily going to go into student affairs automatically, but I knew at some point I would end there. And what I would tell my mentor in college is, oh, I'm going to go into like the leadership development functional area. Like that's what I'm going to go into. But as I started advising a chapter of Afkai Omega, I realized that everything that I would have done in the leadership development functional area, I was actually doing through the advisement that I was doing with Alpha Chi Omega. And I found that because of the affinity that I had toward my own organization, I was actually more excited about, you know, doing that work. And so, you know, when I hear you say using, you know, the leadership development framework as an opportunity to, you know, like, it, it just, it it truly like integrates with fraternity and sorority life in so many ways. I, I consider it to be just like what actually is the foundation of fraternity and sorority life, which is like how to be a better person. And if you're a better person, then you're going to be a better leader. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I love all this because you all are essentially demonstrating right now in this conversation about how how the power of context doesn't just influence how how and where and when and why we do leadership, but it can also be what brings us to leadership ourselves, right? That that you all found so such connection in the fraternity and sorority life experience that it it 
essentially you're talking about how it compelled you, right? And and to to begin thinking about the way that leadership happens in that space. And then you all entered into this world of leadership education through that context. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I'm thinking about, um, actually Mel and Derek and I were talking on um, the call before you all got on about uh, the reason we asked the three of you specifically, and we know other people do this work too, but the three of you we've seen do, um, approaching the community with such a growth mindset, which is so integral to where leadership education is right now, right, is we're not talking in fixed mindsets. And when students have fixed mindsets, it's the work first of getting them the growth mindset and then teaching the leadership theory and the practice and the skills and um, capacity building. But the way that you all see the community and see leadership education through this growth mindset material um, is something that's really hard to shift to. And once you're there, um, all three of you have alluded to like the endless possibilities that come from just viewing the community and the work as a growth mindset experience too. So on that same front, we we hit to this question a little bit, but I wonder um, there's anything else you may have missed in, in the origin story um, element too. But some of you have leadership in your title. Some of you don't. Um, I'm sure it's in all of your position descriptions, right? If you had to, had to pull those out of the, the dust box. Um, but we know that you're all leadership educators um, and you've all alluded to that in your story too. So what did, similar to Freddie's story, what was your first interest in maybe the formal leadership education? So when Mel and I talk about this, right, like you had the undergrad experiences that were leadership, but shifting the educator hat is such a pivotal moment for so many people, right? From the second of being like, oh, I like leadership and I'm involved in leadership and it's an undergrad, but then shifting to becoming a leadership educator. What did that look like um, to start to wear that identity and grow in that space too? So for me, that actually started in high school. Um, I, when I was um, right after my freshman year of high school, I attended um, a five-day residential program that to me was just it was the pivotal moment and a, and a crucible moment for me. Um, and while the focus of that program was about issues of you know, equity and inclusion, what it taught me um, was some really, really valuable leadership concepts like self-awareness and advocacy, building community, values clarification, integrity, um, how to stand up for the things that you believe in um, in a positive way. And so after attending that, what's cool about that program is um, they bring graduates of the program back to facilitate the program. And so I've been facilitating leadership development programs since I was 15 years old. Um, and that I think was my introduction to being, you know, a, um, a leadership educator because I was making sure that program outcomes were, were coming to fruition. I was making sure that conversations um, you know, we're, we're matching what our outcomes were, you know, those, those kind of things. Um, I ended up working full time for them right after college. And it was there that I was able to start the design. Well, and I actually, I designed some things in, in college too, as an undergraduate student, now that I'm thinking about it, because mm-hmm. it was as a result of that, that my mentor looked at me and said, you should do this. And I was like, what is this? And she said, my job. And I said, you get paid? That's cool. <laughs> you know? <And> so, <laughs> As a result of that, I started thinking about student affairs, but I was so enamored with this nonprofit organization that I was working with. And I, I had been working there for four years during college. So I kind of knew they were gonna hire me on after. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't necessarily thinking about, you know, my, my graduate career at that time, 
Um, but, you know, life happened. I unfortunately was laid off from the job. Um, but then simultaneously, I was advising a chapter of Alpha Chi Omega. And so, you know, I, in undergrad, I was writing curriculum. I, you know, I started putting resources together, that kind of thing at the nonprofit. I piloted two different programs that focused on leadership development, education and diversity, equity and inclusion um, education. And then as a chapter advisor, I found myself um, doing those things still and having those conversations. And I also designed, you know, some retreats for them because they were in a place where um, they needed some change. And so we needed to get in a retreat style setting. Um, but those, those were the things that truly pivoted me into higher education. So the skills um, that I, that I built at the nonprofit, the skills that I built as a chapter advisor, um, and then on a campus, while my focus was, you know, the entire time that I was on a campus, it was in fraternity and sorority life. The parts of the job that I enjoyed most were when I was designing curriculum that was focused on building leadership skills. And when I was doing individual and group coaching on how to lead, um, mm. a lot of the conversations that I was having, whether it was the hard conversations about accountability, always went back to, here's how a chapter needs to be led or tell me what you're doing to lead your chapter. And so again, leadership education is so intertwined with fraternity and sorority life that I'm, I'm surprised we don't do a better job of saying we are leadership educators too. Mm. Yeah, that's real. That's mm -hmm. real. Hence the reason we add the podcast because no. we, we know that you all do this and that yeah, people don't usually use the title the same way in FSL. I know. Go ahead, Freddie. No, you got it, Jen. Go for it. <laughs> I feel like this is the trust tree, you know, the six of us and then whoever may also listen to this podcast. So I'm going to be honest. I, I got here accidentally. Yeah. Um, I, listening to Bianca talk about like there was a very clear path from like high school. I don't that was not my experience. And I had this mo aha moment the other day. I, I have to like the team that I get to be a part of the team that I get to, you know, supervise, I am talking like I would put them up against anybody. They are the most incredible, smart humans and everybody on our education and leadership initiatives team, not only was on the exec board of their chapter, they were chapter presidents and they were like commiserating in a department meeting recently about their experiences about being a chapter president. And I was like, I wasn't even on exec. Mm. Um, but I was the member that was like showing up to everything, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't have this very clearly defined, like I am a leader of the chapter role. Um, but I was like raising my hand because I wanted to do all of the things. And that's why I say, I think I accidentally got here because what I know now is that Alpha Chi Omega was doing exactly what Alpha Chi Omega promises to do for me in that window of 18 to 21, because I came into it needing to be the leader, needing to be the person with the title, needing to be the boss. And what I actually needed to develop at that time was the ability to be a part of a team and just raise my hand and show up. Mm. And I think so often we think about leadership education, especially specific to our role as this like, oh, we are developing these executive board members. We are developing these folks that have a title. Um, you know, they're going to go on to do these great things. And I think that there are so many members that are raising their hand, that are showing up, that are saying, I want the Alpha experience that they don't necessarily have a title or, or that 
isn't how they show up as a leader. They don't need that. Um, and so I think that is something for me as I've recently reflected on, um, you know, I'm not bitter at all that I ran for exec three times and never got it. Right. Um, but no, 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 don't hold any of that. No, I have, I'm holding that. I'm holding no emotion with that. Um, but, but I, that is what I needed in terms of leadership development was the ability to say, Hey, like, I'm still going to show up as like, it, it, we all can't be the chapter president. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that has really, especially lately informed, like how I approach this leadership education thing, because, you know, for Africa Omega, we only get to touch, you know, and, and work with directly those officers. Right. But am I then equipping them? to go, how did, how are they showing up at the chapter level? Because there are so many other people <laughs> that Omega can impact from leadership education standpoint. And it isn't just for those officers. It isn't just for those titled folks. Um, and so I think that has really kind of shifted my thought process of we've got to have, we've got to teach them how to show up for their sisters. We've got to teach them how to teach others. Um, because if we're just teaching them, like you're great and wonderful and you can be a leader, but it stops. We've also got to teach them how to prepare their successors. We have also got to, you know, show them how to develop these skills in their sisters who, you know, they're all coming to the Alpha Mega experience, the fraternal experience from with different lived experiences, right? Um, we had a conversation recently about, we're, we're talking a lot about informal accountability at Alpha Mega and not everything has to immediately go to standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, how do we show up in a sisterly way well before it gets there? Um, and we were having a conversation recently about, oh, well, you know, informal accountability, we need to teach them how to do that. There are skills that are a part of that. that we have to teach them how to do because they can't informally hold anyone accountable if they don't know how to be empathetic or if they don't know how to have hard conversations. Right. And so we're, mm-hmm. it's like backing us into these like soft skills that are just so critical and. I don't know. I just, we are so lucky to get them at such a critical and pivotal time in their development. And this is us delivering on the promises we told them during recruitment, right? Like at the end of the day, I feel so lucky. We have an incredible growth team that does so much work to get these members to grow off Kamega. And then I look at my job as like the extension of that. Okay. Now, like I've got to deliver on everything we just told them we would do. Mm -hmm. I think that's a privilege. You know, it's, it's kind of like they are the growth team, but you're the retention team. So mm-hmm. if we think about what we are teaching and what we're doing, you know, with the students, it's about like keeping them excited, interested, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the important development of, of those skills is is really like the, you know, the crux of fraternity and sorority life. Mm-hmm. Think about, you know, when when we talk about leadership so often it's linked to positional leadership right but i think the most important skills we teach are situational leadership skills and that's Mm -hmm. a fraternity and sorority life is that it gives you an opportunity to constantly be teaching those situational skills like you don't need to have a position to be able to lead you don't Mm -hmm. need to have a position to be able to hold others accountable and you definitely don't need to have a position to be emotionally intelligent right Mm -hmm. yeah Exactly. You know, <laughs> when you're facing situations, you need to have all of those things. You don't mm-hmm. need to have some position. Mm-hmm. You all are really hitting at, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that all of you know this about the work that 
I've been a part of previously, but you're talking about leadership identity development. Like mm-hmm. you're literally bringing you're literally up doing the lid models related to this, like <laughs> model about how we advance people mm-hmm. from thinking about leadership as only first claiming the identity, mm-hmm. right? Then moving into a space where they understand that they can happen beyond position. Mm-hmm. And then thinking about the generative aspect of leadership about how do they help others develop their mm-hmm. sense of leader and leadership for themselves. And, and, yeah. and Jen, in your here. story, I'm like a stage one yeah. of lid model, stage two yeah, of lid model. Right. I'm like, I'm really mad yeah. at the mother. Also, Jen, I want to get a mug that says we can't all be chapter presidents because isn't that the darn truth? Like we can't all. And that was part of my journey with Patrina's story life when I was in the chapter is I didn't get chapter president the year that I thought I would get chapter president. And mm-hmm. I got a role that was a better fit for my skills at the time and my efficacy and where I just was in my journey. But the grieving I did for that is so dramatic. Now, looking back on it, right yeah. now, like, oh, my gosh, someone needed to. I didn't touch grass is what I needed to do um, in college, you know, as the kids say. Um, but it was this moment and I, and I ever since then, and I've come to the realization through leadership education of what that meant for me, the same way you're talking about it, but now working with collegians, especially in fraternity and sorority life, it's talking about like in, in Tri-Delta, my affiliation did a good job. Of, so it was an office seeks the member position. So we didn't give speeches. You didn't run for a position. You just got said, I want to be a leader. And they put you in a position. And it was the best thing that could have happened because this idea that like, what are you reflecting out to the world that you care about, that you could do um, mm-hmm. to contribute to the team? And I don't think, I think still for training sorority life members and not the organizations, but the members have a hard time getting students there of like, hey, your all those finance classes you took make you a great VP finance. I know it's not a sexy position, but yeah. it's what the chapter needs and what they think you can continue to grow and develop in. Um, and I think they just have a really hard time. And same with being a general member, right? Like if you are a contributing general member, we need more of those. So let's get yeah. some more general contributing members that want to be on committees or mentor or do and the informal leadership y'all are talking about too. So I know Freddie's got all kinds of thoughts on all of those things too. So Freddie, what tell us what you're thinking? Uh, so I think um, I, I think the how I kind of first established all this. So you heard kind of that origin story, but even as the, mm-hmm. when I switched through that um, kind of educator model, you know, I, I inherited a lot of programs when I first came in to fraternity for life, and and. It, they gave me recruitment counselor programs. They gave me president's ret- programs and retreats. And they said, here's this formal class that we teach. And I was having a conversation with um, the person in charge of class at the time, which is Dr. Kathy Guthrie. And I was like, hey, I'm sitting there and I'm reading this. And like, this curriculum is kind of um, uh, piecemeal together from different random stuff. And she's like, yeah, I have those thoughts as well. What if you create a class? And I said, okay, I'll go. Let me go do that on my spare time. And so... Um, you know, I, I we I looked at um, kind of some of the elements out there, right, and then ended up landing on, I think, a peer leadership class to teach very young members of some of these concepts and to walk them through what it means to create change in the community um, and walk them through kind of that live model, walk them through all these things. I remember <laughs> talking to, to Dr. Osteen when she hands me the live model and says, you need to go learn this and <laughs> go and read this thing. And I said, okay, cool. I'm going to go do that. And then, uh, and then I started getting into assessment world and they're like, here's a social responsible leadership scale. And then I sat there and I was sitting with Dr. Guthrie and I was like, I don't, so like, there's some limitations here. And then she's like, well, here's this Dugan thing. And I said, okay, great. Let me go read this Dugan dude. <laughs> and let me dig into that. And then I was like, wait, there's some limitations here. It's like, why don't you call Dugan and tell him that? I said, there's absolutely no way I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so there, I think, I think my, 
kind of my piece about leadership education is that I never really saw myself as a leadership educator. I just saw myself as an educator that is kind of putting these concepts together, whether I'm pulling from leadership education, whether I'm pulling from um, later on in my career, design thinking and user-centered design from the tech field or project management or instructional design, like where I'm pulling all these things to build a better experience within the context that we're a part of for an art, for a goal, right? Which is ultimately to create healthy and safety community, safe communities that are creating professionals and creating leaders for the future, right? So all that, and I think at our essence, that's what we do. We give people a place to belong and we give people a place to become better, right? And and however that that may be. And we want them to do that in a health and safe way, healthy, safe way. Um, so I think I took these opportunities and looked again, going back to undergraduate Freddie, like we could create change if we just start teaching people how to do it and how to how to become ethical and how to have ethics. Let's start there and values. Um, <laughs> And so that's what I built the classes around, right? And so I, I, and I said, here's my hypothesis. If you go through this experience and we build more of these experiences, then we will start to create organizational change. And fraternity story of life is, I, I try to describe it to the students. It's like a Titanic or massive cruise ship with like the rudder of a rowboat. Um, <laughs> and it's like you see the iceberg and you have nothing. It's just Titanic style. You just can't you can't turn in time. And so it's like, OK, well, how do we avoid it? And you have to start creating these changes. But it takes time and it takes energy. And most of people in our field don't last as long as the three of us have, to be honest. I mean, the mm -hmm. average most folks are, are three to five years and then they're out. And so you lose context. And so I started to think about that and said, if we build this over time, if I teach students emotionally intelligent leadership over time, then in theory, would our community become more emotionally intelligent? Yeah. It sounds like a simple hypothesis. Um, but in reality, I don't, the context of our community, our, especially the sorority community that I was working with at the time, was about 4,000 pushing 5,000. And so the, the idea that we could do that with a group of 150 to 200 women over the course of several years to create thousands of women over time was, most people thought I was crazy. And um, I did that through the recruitment counselor program. And most folks were looking at me and be like, you just have to teach them how to cheer and chant. I said, that is so. That is not what is needed. needed no, absolutely not. <laughs> so I said, let's build a class. Let's do that. And let's, let's teach them all this stuff. And, you know, this is our, I think this is the start of my ninth, ninth cohort of going through that model with mm -hmm. them. And I think a lot of folks, especially that have attributed some of the, the change that we've had as a culture at Florida State can actually attribute to some of those things. Mm -hmm. um, so it's almost like an alumni network within an alumni network of people that then see themselves leadership. So it was, I think maybe a, I would say like a, like maybe like a year ago where I was talking to someone and they said, you know, like that's leadership education. I was like, you know, I never really thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that sounds, that sounds silly to say, but you know, we can unpack identity and, and imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and all that. But it was this, because I think for a lot of us, we feel leadership education is like, that's that's ILA, That's those are those folks mm -hmm. teaching classes or those folks in centers for leadership. And and some folks uh, in the field own that. And like, you can't use the word leadership unless you're in that particular frame. Mm -hmm. um, and so you start to learn, okay, well, I'm just going to do this fraternity sorority thing and um, call it a day. Yeah. So. So there was a major shift, I think, in in within me when I started looking and saying, no, yeah, like I I can hold my own and do, I can talk to you about all the research right now. So mm -hmm. there was a different frame there. 
Freddie, I'm so glad that you, you know, brought up this, this notion of the recruitment counselor or the recruitment guide class that you created as a, as a leadership development opportunity, because you are absolutely right. Like that is what it is. One of my favorite moments um, advising Panhellenic was I was working with um, our vice president of recruitment personnel who oversees the recruitment guide um, program. And we were talking about what shifts or what changes that we need to make to the curriculum um, to, to teach them their role. And what she looked at me and said is, we need to teach them how to be leaders. Like that is the, the most important part is how do we teach them to lead the women through the process? How do we teach them um, to have tough conversations? How do we teach them what fraternity and sorority life is, which is essentially like leadership development. Mm -hmm. And so the students themselves also get it. The students themselves think about the things that we are doing as leadership development. Well, and this actually relates to so much to something that I've been grappling with um, in preparation, honestly, for this podcast episode is um, the untapped, and someone alluded to this earlier, but the untapped um, potential or, or possibility to tell the story or to map directly map what's happening in, in the FSL community to a lot of these kind of bigger, more critical and complex approaches and philosophies of leadership. I think to someone's point earlier, so much of the structured formal leadership development work that we do in the context of fraternity and sorority life is connected to um, understanding your job role, preparing mm -hmm. you to fulfill your position, those kinds of things. And that's important work. But then there's also a lot of stuff happening in the fraternity and sorority world that maps directly to some of these bigger, grander ideas of leadership. And we're not naming that. So when you mm -hmm. think about peer education and peer leadership, like you're talking about with the example of recruitment guides, when we talk about um, the, the, the test cases for how to develop rich, a rich sense of community that's rooted in commitment and connection to common purpose. When you talk about like the massive undertakings of programming that students do on their own mm -hmm. with the story like community, this, the stuff they're able to pull off related to philanthropic endeavors or yeah. campus-wide programming that they largely do without advisor support. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of that kind of agency and connection to purpose and commitment, like we can map a lot of the fraternity and sorority life world to those things that we talk about in the leadership educator space all of the time. Um, but yet the attention is always more given to like the formal programs, the preparation of the people in the exec roles like you were all talking to. Mm -hmm. I don't, I have to be honest, I'm not in the, the research of the publications coming out about fraternity and sorority life, but I feel like there's maybe a, a miss there or maybe it's an opportunity to do some more direct talking about those opportunities. Well, and I think that part of the reason why that may not be happening as much is because with fraternity and sorority life, the focus is so much on how do we reduce harm because, mm -hmm. you know, some of the actions that fraternity and sorority members have made, you know, throughout the years. And so the focus is so much on reducing harm, but what, what, what I'm starting to see in the research is that there is a, a turn more toward, okay, how do we develop, you know, individuals so that they are contributing members to society? How do we use leadership development as an opportunity <clears throat> to be able to um, build skills that then 
stop these actions from happening. And so I'm seeing that more and more. I'm not seeing it as much as I'd like to. And so perhaps that's a challenge to mm-hmm. our peers in the fraternity and sorority world who are doing research or those who are interested in doing research in fraternities and sororities to, to really also tell the story of how do we counter these actions through leadership education? I think to Freddie's point, this brings you back to something um, Dr. Kathy Guthrie told me early on in my career um, was to never get so far removed from the actual work that you don't know what's going on. So right when Freddie's talking about the opposite of that, the inverse, he was doing the work every day and didn't see himself in the the, you know, scholarship or the research or that work around leadership education. I I think about how much that one comment, she went to a, um, a solely practitioner conference that had undergrads present and new professionals and grad students. And um, she was going and people were curious, like, oh, why are like, what, what's your role in attending that? And she was like, I just want to go and be connected to what is actually going on in the work of leadership education. I think about the work that you all do. And Mel and I, you know, have our own positions to the fraternity and sorority experience, but it's the one way I think I see myself constantly seeing like how are undergrads actually engaging in leadership work? Because Freddie, you're right. And some of you mentioned this too, like half the time they're doing programming without advisors, they're operating these own entities, right? Jen talked about this too. They're holding policy to be true, but also trying to develop as people. And like, how do I adhere to like, you know, things that I'll have to do in a career at some point, like you have to like follow the policies and places and, and safety codes, but also like try to develop and grow and see how this maps into what your next steps will be. And I think it's such a brilliant place that we can see I hate to say incubator because it makes it sound really transactional, but it is like this place where we are seeing leadership unfold every single second and emotional intelligence and all these things y'all are mentioning. And I think when people remove themselves, and it's one of our questions we'll get to in just a second here, but um, distance themselves for whatever reason they want to from the fraternity and story experience, they're missing a massive population of leadership learners who were often coming to this place desperate for those materials. Um, and so many people shy away from the community because of preconceived notions and other places too. Um, and like Freddie said too, with communities, especially these campuses that are 4,000, 5,000 students, many of those members are only getting this content through the fraternity and sorority life experience, right? So if we aren't offering it on campus-based models or national models that are coming to them, they aren't often getting involved in other places where they might have access to those um, experiences and lessons too. So i I get really defensive when people are like, oh, for training story, it's like your own thing, right? Like their own entity and we don't know about them and other things too. And I'm like, well, let me tell you, do you have, do you have time for coffee? You know, <laughs> can we sit down um, and just talk about the value of, of what's going on here? Um, and part of where this podcast episode came from is Mel and I were talking about the good work that happens at both the campus and national levels around curriculum. And people don't see themselves as leadership educators, but they're writing this brilliant curriculum that undergrads are going through and getting great impact from. I think on that note, the the question Mel and I and Derek helped craft this too and and grappling with, and you all have alluded to it, right? That it's not a secret that those people unfamiliar with the Purdue Story Life experience often hear the challenges the communities faces. Um, and, you know, we talk about this all the time, like Freddie talks about the, the, right from the headlines or things that people um, see kind of these these 
plugs from for transitory life and not knowing the full scope. Um, so knowing the three of you and your philosophies around this work, we know that you approach the community with a growth mindset. You all have shared that in your stories already, um, but so critical, similar to how leadership educators do in their program. So what for you does this look like in practice? How do you implement and um, utilize growth mindsets in the leadership development work you get to do within your own communities? So I think, um, yeah, I alluded to this earlier. I think uh, so. I was chatting with you know the the Titanic cruise ship yeah. and style community, and you have the rudder of a rowboat. I mean, like that that kind of defines the the trouble and challenges that we have in fraternal life. And like I think Bianca shared, you know, sometimes you go to certain conferences and opportunities or other thoughts, or you hear research that's coming out. It's very harm prevention focused and mm-hmm. typically about hazing or alcohol. Um, now we're starting to get a little bit more from from the drug scene in terms of research, but it's really alcohol and hazing related, which is the work is needed in those fields. I'm not saying those aren't important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there there is a critical gap here where um, if we can help our students evolve and think differently from a growth mindset perspective, what I tell my team is we're creating new averages. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of a lot of us in organizational change want to just focus on, you know, we have different philosophies and, you know, just got to focus on your winners and, you know, everybody else is going to get in line or it's like, OK, we got to fix the, the the ones that are are falling off or getting separated and, you know, and pull your resources there. And all those are true and valid. And there's opportunity, I think, for all those to happen at the same time. And what we're focusing on is how do we create a new standard? Um, because wherever we set the standard, even from a statistical foe, standard deviation up and down, there's always going to be that. Mm-hmm. And so how do we create a different mean of what fraternity sorority community, for, in particular here at Florida State, looks like? And over time, and that takes time. That's that's a, that's a it's for us, we split it in three-year phases. Um, most professionals don't stay in the field long. I've been very fortunate to retain as much of my staff as I possibly can over the course of several years. Because we cannot create change and we advocated to our upper administration. So we cannot create the change if we're not actually retaining our team Mm -hmm. Um, and then build context and then promote people and then go through that. Right. So when you do that, then we can look at the growth mindset pieces. And that's why we approach it that way of, okay, you know what? Maybe this chapter is struggling. We're going to help them become a better them and not trying to get everybody to this like same piece because that's not the reality of it. That's also limiting some of our organizations that are exceeding every expectation we can ever have of them. And so how do we keep those doing? How do we incentivize that work? And then how do we also not help? We got to help the organizations that are struggling and also incentivize them to be better, not just cast them out. Mm-hmm. And I think that growth mindset is it comes from, I think what you said, right? The leadership education perspective. And so that... Mm-hmm. It, it looks like a lot of grace. It looks like a lot of, hey, let's not suspend this chapter. Let's work on what we can do to clean this chapter from the inside out and teach them better and help them understand that. And helping our conduct folks that are not, they're not in the room right now, helping them understand leadership education a little bit too. So it's because in the conduct world, it's policy law and, Mm -hmm. and and that's cool too. Those are awesome. And um, but they need a a little bit of a (laughs) middle ground, a translator, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's how I've kind of used it um, here in the work we do is we teach our students that and then it, everything becomes about that we're just trying to become better and if we could just become better 
then we will become way better in the future, right? And that sounds simple, but hey, it, it works with the students and you stand in front of stage and you tell them that they're like, I get that. I understand that. Now teach me and mm -hmm. kind of opens it up differently. It takes a long time to write the ship. I like your ship analogy, right? Like you, <laughs> we can't, like one leadership program, one piece of curriculum is not going to write a ship that has for years been going on a negative traje a trajectory we don't want it to be on, right? And so- I think our, we have on the off coming staff, we have our harm reduction folks are doing some really incredible work. And something I think they're really good at is this piece of like, well, yes, we're going to react to if there is this conduct issue, this behavior, this hazing incident, this alcohol related incident, whatever that is. So yes, we're going to react to that and deal with that. And also the like writing of the ship, right? So they are so good about partnering with our team of like, okay, so then now what, what, okay, we're going to address the behavior. We're going to deal with that in the moment. And then also how do we get this culture shift? Cause we didn't just one day to like wake up and decide to haze, right? Like mm -hmm. that was a culture shift. And so often that is like a, we've got to write the ship from the inside. Like, like Freddie said, like, this is a inside out, like we've got to start somewhere. And so it stands to reason if you're more empathetic, if you're holding informal conversations and all these things, you're not going to haze, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so it's, so it's both things, which I think is a really cool opportunity. And I think something that Alphamega does really well is this, like, yes, we're going to address the behavior in the moment. And, but also it is as critical to develop their, like, take that chapter that now needs a lot of love and support, mm -hmm. right? Because we have just had this really important and impactful experience that hurt, right? Uh, emotionally, physically, what have you, and, and let them grow from that. You know, I think that, um, you know, cancel culture is what it is. And I think that it's easy to just say, well, you know, we've made mistakes, we've done these things. And of course, there are certain things that there are non-negotiable, and it should be that way. But there's so much opportunity for development of people, um, mm -hmm. you know, and if you are showing up for others in the right ways, you are not doing, it stands to reason you are then not participating in these other behaviors that are harmful or otherwise. Um, and so I think that's a really unique opportunity we have as leadership educators to partner alongside those conduct folks, those harm reduction folks and say like, how do we show up for you and how can we be a part of the solution to this, like riding the ship to use Freddie's uh, analogy? Mm -hmm. Well, and it takes explicit naming of that being the purpose of your work, mm -hmm. you know, that if, if to name to our partners, to name to our chapters, to name to the students that our goal here is to help you rise to to a, a higher expectation to think about yourself as a human and the kind of human you want to be in the world to think about this chapter or this organization as a place that you love and care for and care about and that you want to contribute to its advancement and if you that's what we're trying to perpetuate here and so if that's the lens where you doing the work through then when you start to to talk about conduct and harm reduction and and addressing issues if we're trying to reach this more lofty goal it changes the way we talk about mm -hmm. um the interventions that need to be had and the work that needs to be done and even the resources and the time that we spend um, in the development of, of especially our collegiate members. It just changed, it shifts the whole way that you think about where we spend our time and our energy. Um, mm -hmm. So I just, I just, I appreciate so much hearing you all say that because I think um, it's, it's so much bigger than a band aid 
and a reactionary mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Freddie and Jen, I was, um, Freddie, we had this conversation at ILA and it's one I continue to think about is, um, and working very closely with a chapter right now is talking about, um, these hazing behaviors, drinking behaviors, all of these things that we know, again, the headlines that make the news about FSL most often, um, I, I see them as an act of quote unquote bad generativity, right? Like it's this generative leadership concept that the chapter turnover is every three or four years, depending on what campus you're on, right? And if they only know the way that you create brotherhood or sisterhood is through hazing, and that's an act of leadership that gets you all connected in community, who's going to tell them otherwise, right? We know advisor turnover is high. We know um, staff retention is not great in student affairs as a whole, but also within fraternity and sorority life. So if we, but I see it in this leadership process of like, that is an act of leadership. It's generative leadership. They've learned it from their brothers and sisters before them. And they continue to perpetuate because that's the way they see chapter leadership. And it's the way they see building community. And these things we talk about with leadership, they're just done in maybe an unethical or, or negative perception but how do we then, like you all are saying, write the ship of years and years and years and years of behavior when their uncle or their dad or their brother or someone else was in the chapter and we're like, yeah, well, five years ago, we did that too. So you're right on the right track, right? For them, this quote unquote right track looks very different than the track that we know the field should be heading towards. And um, again, this idea, it's it's still generative leadership. It's just maybe in a way that um, we have to shift the minds that they have the skills for it. It's just being used in a way that's harmful or not, not conducive to the mission, vision, values of the organization. But yeah. seeing that as an act of leadership, I think really helped me pause to be like, oh, no, they're not. It's not that we're starting from scratch. We're needing to shift attitudes and behaviors around what leadership should look like, what community looks like, what communication looks like, what organizational wellness looks like. Um, and that's right with both of you all talking about needing to be and desperately needing to be working with our harm prevention coordinators around this work and also making sure they see themselves as leadership educators because it is right they're not just the presentation that goes over like here's what you do in in drug related incidents here's the alcohol policy make sure you follow it please um here's the like emergency number those are all important but if it's from this growth mindset and this leadership education lens i think partnering with y'all is going to be immense for the community's growth well, and I think that if we, if we are doing um, true education well, we're being very intentional. And what that means is we are threading the needle, like through everything that we're exposing our fraternity mm-hmm. sorority members to, right? And so if we have, you know, the harm uh, prevention folks coming into a chapter to the community, then we need to make sure that we don't tie that just to the prevention pieces, but also the behavior that enables change. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what we need to be doing is <clears throat> as fraternity sorority advisors, we need to be pulling back and thinking about how everything comes together. And, and really that's the power of curriculum, right? When you're doing curriculum well, you're making sure that everything is aligning as a whole, not just piecemealing things together. Um, and so that that intentionality is really important. And it forces you to approach things from a growth mindset um, mm-hmm. as well. So you're constantly thinking about how are we making sure that, you know, wellness is happening? How are we, you know, building them to be resilient, to be, um, you know, to reflect um, on their missteps, not their mistakes, but their missteps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how are we you know, making sure that they're identifying 
the issues, but also thinking about solutions to those issues. And so that to me is all about making sure that you're, you're, you're staying on the course, you're investing in students, um, that you're thinking about their development holistically and not just, you know, as, as Jen mentioned earlier, not just to train them to be executives someday, like Mm -hmm. holistic development, um, at all times. I mean, that's a great segue, I think, into our last kind of topic for our episode today, which is really about where, you know, the three of you see, you know, leadership, learning and development going in the world of fraternity and sorority life. And that could be a a personal direction you want to see it going in. It Mm -hmm. can be trends that you're noticing. It could be some sort of untapped or underexplored area you really hope folks start to dive into. But what does the next kind of iteration of leadership education work look like in this context? So I think we need to be realistic with the demands that institutions are facing. Um, and, and we need to understand that that we've got to align with those demands, right? And so to me, the major demand now is that employers are demanding that college-educated humans develop competencies around leadership, around communication, teamwork, critical thinking, equity and inclusion. So I'm thinking about like the NACE competencies, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do we make sure that we uh, that that the product of fraternity and sorority life is aligning with those competencies to remain relevant in today's world? Um, but I also see a continued focus on principles surrounding equity and inclusion. Um, We are in a space and time where even though there are states that are saying that that education does not belong in higher education, we are still in a place and time where we have an obligation um, to do that. Our college campuses are getting more and more diverse. There are lots of systems that still need to be broken down um, because they are not you know, in alignment with like building inclusive communities, right? And so I think um, not just the societal pressure towards fraternities and sororities um, that that is calling for them to make change in what has traditionally been seen as exclusive practices, like there's that pressure there. But I also think as we're thinking about Generation Alpha, they do not stay quiet. They will tell you how it is and they expect change to happen. And so if we as fraternities and sororities want to remain relevant in the world, we need to make sure that we are changing, um, that we're demonstrating that we're purposefully aligned um, with building equitable and inclusive spaces. and so I think that that's, that's one piece to think about. And then the last thing is like, for us to just remain relevant in general, we need to continue to demonstrate how as organizations, we develop humans who lead with integrity, who create those inclusive spaces, who contribute to the world positively and create sustainable, positive change. Um, and so I think if we don't do that, we're going to see less and less people joining fraternities and sororities. And so we have to evolve with the time and and not just to be able to remain, but also to do the right thing. Yeah, I agree with the specific 
to like Alpha Omega, right? Our members today are calling us to show up differently than 10 years ago, right? They, they are looking for Alpha Omega to fill a different need or to fill it differently, right? And so it's our obligation and responsibility to figure, to meet them where they are and show up in that space. And so I think we're seeing members who are more socially engaged than ever. They're they're more engaged in their communities. They're more cognizant of their communities and their own identities, certainly than I was, you know, several years ago when I was an undergrad, <laughs> um, right? But like there is this shift in who these people are when they show up to our organizations, right? And that just challenges us to be better. Um, you know, so I touched on some of this earlier, but you know, yes, it's all these, you know, what traditional, what you think of as like traditional leadership skill development, but it's also this focus on like mental health and well-being and um, this holistic idea of leadership education. And, you know, we self-care isn't just like face masks and bubble baths, though I love those, right? right? But it's this, also this idea of like, how can I show up for others if I'm not doing the things that I need to do to care for myself? Um, because so often we see our leaders in fraternity and sorority life go all in hundred percent and just burn themselves out. Um, mm -hmm. And so like, how do we get them to pull back from that and like treat themselves with some kindness and, and um, help them see that that is a part of being a leader, right? Like we see so many aha moments with our women, you know, when we're, we just got done with our leadership Academy last weekend and, that these like aha moments come from a like, Hey, if you're being a, you're not being a good leader, if you're not sleeping, mm -hmm. you're not and it. And that seems so rudimentary. It seems so basic. It seems so like, well, com that's common sense, but you running on your Celsius and no sleep and all these things, like you cannot show up in the best version of yourself in that way. And so I think I've, I'm happy to see some of that shifting. You know, I think we are also seeing a shift that, so many of us are doing so much more with technology. Freddie touched on the like instructional design piece, like we're seeing just from a overarching like need. Um, you know, we're seeing a shift into technology and how can we do some more trainings online and how can we make things more digestible and accessible? And how do we get something in a, you know, 60 second TikTok style video versus mm -hmm. a, our webinar? And like, so we're seeing a shift in even how the delivery, the modality of how we are delivering our content, you know, and I say this as a curriculum writing professional, we can't curriculum everything. I, we, mm -hmm. I cannot, we can't live in a space where everything is, I'm just going to write a 60 minute, you know, facilitation guide and that's going to fix it. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish it did uh, because my job would be that much more secure. Right. But like, it isn't just the curriculum piece. And I think for so long it was, well, we can write a program for that. And, and, we, and in some things we still can, but it is bigger than a facilitation guide. So many of the moments I've already started looking at our feedback from our leadership academy this weekend. So many of the, the moments and the things that, that our participants are identifying as like critical and pivotal to them were those informal conversations with each other, opportunities to engage, opportunities to learn from their volunteer facilitators. That wasn't scripted, right? Like that wasn't written out in a facilitation guide. And so how do we bring all of that together? Because mm -hmm. it can't just be curriculum. Mm -hmm. I agree with everything Bianca and Jen said. I mean, mm -hmm. it's especially about those curriculum pieces, Jen. You just can't throw a workshop at everything. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting every time I get a solicitation from someone that says they can solve hazing in 60 minutes. Um, so, you know, I, that's I'm crazy. Like, they figured it that, out. You'd be rich. I'm like, <laughs> like please let me know. Um, sign me up. Yeah, right. Sign me up. Like, where's the train? Um, so, 
I, I think what's next, and I think, uh, you know, Melissa, you were, you were talking about this earlier. I, there, there is a gap in us connecting the things, some of the work that some of us are doing to these other greater frameworks in leadership education. Um, you know, I, I was writing um, uh, for, actually for Brittany, for you uh, the other day and, and, and trying to tie in because it's not trying to, it ties in how we do culturally relevant leadership learning and the CRL model with some of the work that we're doing here with some of our, our approaches to how we handle fraternity or life but we're not naming that. And mm -hmm. so I think something that we are going to do a concerted effort here with me and my team is I'm going to, I also haven't explained that to my team as a director. Maybe that makes me a really bad director, but I, yeah. they, they kind of no. just look at me and said, I'm going to let Freddie do his curriculum thing. And I'm going to let him do his strategy thing. And then we're not going <laughs> to ask questions. And so, but I'm going to be like, no, this is, this is the actual frameworks that I was using when I was thinking about that. And this is how we're expanding this framework and create and evolving it to create something new. And then circling back with other folks to say, hey, actually, we we have an addition, right? Here's some other things. So there has to be this, like, it, it can't just be fraternity sorority folks talking to other fraternity sorority folks. And it can't mm -hmm. just be leadership education folks only talking leadership education. At some point, we have yes. to <laughs> and talk. Um, and so I'm hoping that's what's next. I'm hoping that we're, we're doing that, um, that we're able to connect those bridges and getting out of our context and saying, hey, here's how this all works. Um, I know we're committed to here to go into other places besides AFA. Um, and I can say that now that Bianca's not there, right? Like that <laughs> we're, we're, we're committed. We are going to go. Mm -hmm. We might not spend the <laughs> He said, on week. the record, we're still we're on still the record. <laughs> but also. But, but there are also, also other places, right? Yeah. That teach you some things and help right. develop you as well that perhaps are not being met by attending. Right. I get that. Yeah. And then maybe I'll present back at AFA. What we found out there in Please the do. Closing, the closing the loop. Closing the loop. If they accept the program, you know, so because harm prevention is, is still in the fraternity, like has a really hard grip on, on harm prevention. So, but that's mm -hmm. another podcast that we want to do. But um, the, the the other piece I think that's really untapped, and that's I think where where we're at right now is some of the data pieces. And so I think a lot of the data out there is hazing focused and that's mm -hmm. that's no no difference right like that's where all the grant money's going that's where everything is going we're hoping to change the narrative i think um that we can start to identify what actually makes a good organization versus a bad one how can we mm -hmm. tell when they're about to go bad and quote unquote bad is at health and safety wise um and then can you turn it around so we i'll speak for myself i want to test mm -hmm. all that right i want to i want to go in there and be able to say hey this is what it looks like can we create frameworks around organizational development that is not, you know, because the organiz the industrial organizational field is you know, psychology is very different, doesn't necessarily speak the fraternity and sorority language mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, but then also the leadership language. So there, there's a language that's missing. And so how do we blend everything together to say this is what we know is the markers of a good fraternity or a fraternity or sorority that's doing well? Besides our gut feeling, I think like Jen, Bianca, I'm pretty sure you can think of fraternities. You just have a gut feeling that they're doing good, but you can't really identify like what makes them good. Okay, they won chapter of the year, but like why? Besides their really nice written essay, um, you know? Yeah. So they told uh, their story well. Yeah, they did. They did. And maybe that's just my quant brain. You know, I, I, I love quantitative numbers, but maybe that's that. I'm not saying I don't need to quantify experiences, but we need something more. Um, and, you know, I think we've been internally here working on dashboards and chapter panels to understand 
and and we started to get very predictive and some unfortunately some of the predictions actually came true um and the but how do then we how do we do a culture shift so that's kind of what we're wrestling with here at Florida State in fraternity survey land um which is a little unusual and not um I our institutional research folks have told us that we're an unusual bunch um, but they do love working with us and so it's <laughs> So it's kind of a, it's an interesting thing there as, as, so, you know, stay tuned. We'll see what happens in a year um, or what we're able to find. And then maybe at some point publish. Mel, Mel, not to put us on the spot, but I wonder if on Friday's point that we can't just be leadership educators and FSL professionals, wonder if we answer this question too. What do we think the future is? Putting out, putting us on the spot. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I agree with everything y'all are saying. I, I think, um, I, I'm real jazzed about some of these research questions. I got to be honest. Yeah. Like there's a qual question in there too. Like we start talking about mm -hmm. like factors and forces, right? That's, that's the qual culture stuff. Influences. That, all like of there's it. definitely <laughs> some, like, how is the sauce being made and what's the magic yeah, that. that, what's the magic that gets, uh, I mean, I being, being serious though, I do, I really do think that there are, if we look into research and, and, and literature about what creates sustainable, um, inclusive to Bianca's point and strong communities that not only sustain and support themselves and their members, but that do good, you know, have an impact and influence beyond their context. I mean, there are some really great case study examples in the fraternity and sorority community of chapters or organizations or, or sub subgroups within chapters that are doing that, right? The, the I think there's something about that commitment community piece that is really unique um, about, especially in the, in the collegiate level, that is really unique about college chapters of fraternities mm -hmm. and sororities that you don't even see in other types of student organizations. So I, I do think there's something there that we could be doing some, some research on, some talking about those notions of commitment and community, how that connects to the leadership process and the notion of making people and places better. There are factors and forces in there that, that we need to be identifying. Um, and I think we can do it. Mm -hmm. I think in the spirit of the season of this podcast, we've been focused on context. And when I first started imagining what that would be like, I started going through all the functional areas, right? Of like, oh, we should do it in housing. We should orientation. And we should. All that should be happening, right? Um, of the Dr. Kathy Guthrie camp of everyone is a leadership educator, right? We are all doing this work and we are in it together. Um, but I think that people so often overlook fraternities where like if they're not affiliated or they don't understand the community but freddie and i talk about this all the time you all are doing every functional area you are doing conduct you, you are, are doing harm prevention you are doing <laughs> student development and leadership theory and uh, just all of it in one um again like smaller asset but often with ripples out right the the panhellenic president who's also in dance marathon who's also on the student conduct board is taking all of those things she learned and influencing the entire campus and i mean this so sincerely when i talk about people doing good leadership development work all three of your names come up for me and i think often what really um frustrates me and why i continue to do the podcast is practitioners don't always have the time space or capacity to publish these things right like mel and i were talking about it before the call started you all are doing such brilliant work and I'm like so profoundly just blown away by this this conversation we just had. But because it's not written down, people are like, well, people aren't doing work on it. And I'm like, they are doing deep, critical, ground shaking, field changing work. 
it's just often not accessible um, and they don't know where to go to have that conversation. And again, if you just go to AFA, you can have a great conversation on the fraternity sorority community. And if you just go to an ILA or um, some other leadership conference, you can have a great conversation on leadership. And there's just not a place right now where people are talking about the deep critical work of both. And sometimes you get lucky and you meet a Jen Wallach at a conference five years ago and you get to have those conversations in a break between sessions for seven minutes before you have to run and facilitate again. Um, but people just aren't that lucky, right? And they don't get, they don't have, access to all of that. So I think what for us is it, it, what does that look like in the future of the work to be idea generating and sharing beyond our campus or our national org or our brilliant teams of four or five that we might be lucky to work with? What does that mean to really find space and move the needle at a more national level? Like Freddie's saying, whether that's research questions and qualitative questions that um, have us thinking more deeply, or it's just conversations like this, or it's conference proposals, or it's just um, a community of practice or something that is doing deep critical work, because the community is better when we are doing this work, right? And we're building up new professionals, and we're doing the capacity and efficacy development I love so much um, across all that too. So I just, I feel so energized that you three exist and do this work all the time. Um, but I think you are what's next for leadership learning and development for FSL because you continue to build up more folks that are doing this work in the field too. So I, that's my soapbox. But I am feeling just, I'm feeling all the good, Mel knows I get so excited about all this stuff. So uh, Yeah. And that's a really long and lovely way of saying thank you because you are. <laughs> and we're just really appreciative. As, nothing if long-winded, you know, yeah. nothing if not long-winded. I just can't believe it's been five years, Brittany. <laughs> I know. It's our five-year anniversary, Jim Wallach. Happy I anniversary. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, but truthfully, I mean, as someone who identifies, you know, with the community, but doesn't, and had really has never worked directly in it, mm -hmm. um, in the way that you all have, I just, um, I'm really thankful for the three of you mm -hmm. and for, for the folks that you are, uh, working with and her doing the, the good work alongside of you. Thank you for mm -hmm. what you're doing, um, for a really, really Im important and, and interesting and challenging community, um, that is so vital to the way that higher education works for better or worse. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Wow. War the, there's yeah, echo, retweet, retweet. <laughs> Thank you all. All the warm fuzzies. All the all the warm and fuzzies today. Holy smokes. One episode. Those three are great. They're great. I just feel really energized. Yeah, I do. I, I alluded to this at the end of our of our conversation with them. You know, I my connection to fraternity and sorority life is like it's a it's a strong one, but I haven't worked professionally very much in it. Mm -hmm. uh, real stint right out of college, working for headquarters, and then obviously have been around fraternity and sorority life professionals, being someone that previously worked in like student involvement work. Mm -hmm. But um, I just I think I'm reflecting on how grateful I am that there are people like them who are. Um, doing, leaning into the complexity, the the critical work, the more the long game, right? Freddie talked about that a lot, but like the long game mm -hmm. of shifting culture and being steadfast in that commitment and mm -hmm. and saying that to to partners and campuses and students and headquarters and all those kinds of things. Like, if we're gonna see the the potential and possibility for real leadership learning and development to happen in those spaces and across those spaces consistently, then we've got, they have to be committed 
you know, our professionals have to be committed mm-hmm. to doing the work that way. And those three are definitely committed to it. Yeah. And I think building off of this kind of second half of the season, what I'm really thankful for this episode and the the last few before this is um, these are voices that, again, we're not seeing necessarily published everywhere or on every conference right. circuit or things too. And um, I'm really thankful that people will get to listen to this episode and see how freaking brilliant these three are and the work they're doing and the innovative design they're doing. Um, Freddie, we you might allude to this a little bit earlier, but he's got a piece he's writing with Johnny Allen Jr. out of Florida State about user-centered design in leadership um, engagement work and how do we actually engage communities using um, tech competencies and other things too that we can actually use to map on with leadership education that they're just, they're seeing this work in such innovative and practical ways um, that I just don't know that our field always does, right? And I think I'm really glad this podcast is bringing to light voices that are Again, they see this as like, this is what they do every day. Like, this is just normal operations and um, the way, the only way they can conceptualize the work. But for many, this will be um, deeply profound. I think including us that this is, this is what their work looks like. And I think people have their own preconceived notions about fraternity and sorority life and the professionals and the people that do the work. And I think this has hopefully blown that up for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And what a, what a good sales point too for the importance of cross-functional and mm-hmm. um, yeah, cross-functional training and education and um, engagement in professional spaces and fields. I mean, that, that last, the, how we ended mm-hmm. the conversation, I think was such a, such a good reminder of the importance mm-hmm. for us to be talking to one another um, in, in the shared themes of our work that cross the, the various kind of boundaries of career and campus mm-hmm. spaces, I'm sure. Yeah. And I think you and I can both attest to this as people that invited them on, but like, yeah, our, our nine to fives have never really been fraternity and sorority life work. Um, but can we have both been able to see the ripple effects that having good fraternity sorority life communities on your campuses, professionals doing deep critical work has on leadership education at a campus. Like when you have good people, for someone who was lucky enough to work at the same campus as Freddie for six years, I saw the work that his office and him, his team was able to do that rippled out to my leadership studies classes, to our leadership development programs, to all of our spaces were better because his students were thinking more deeply and critically about leadership education in spaces they didn't even think were necessarily leadership development spaces, right? Right. Um, so, and the way yeah. that they talked about the process, right? It, they didn't come to most of our classes talking about like, well, I'm chapter president and therefore I'm in charge. And I have the most power. Like that was not the way um, the conversation happened for many of the students that showed up in our leadership education uh, spaces too. So it, it is certainly, even if it's not your quote unquote, your work, it is certainly work that you should be invested in regardless. Yeah. And, and on that note, I would say shout out to all of our listeners and your colleagues who like those that we heard from today are doing that deeper work, deeper Mm -hmm. reflective work with your students and with yourselves about leadership, learning themes, processes, um, as a way to develop, you know, fraternity and sorority community members as people and as humans, and for them to be able to see themselves in the critical work of leadership for making people and places better. I know there's, we know there are so many of you out there that are, that are Mm -hmm. leading the charge on that, whether it's through courses or programs or the way you advise or coach, um, the FSL community, just, just, we know there are lots of you out there on your campuses yeah. that are doing that and, and we appreciate you and your work. Um, and we're just, and so know it goes above beyond, above and beyond what your PD yes. says, right? It goes above yes. and beyond what your position description and your technical yes. nine to five is supposed to look like. Um, and I think the thing that's beautiful in portraying and story life that happens other places, but is maybe more, um, transparent here is it comes from just a deep culture of care, right? They care about the organizations. They care about the students. They care about 
the trajectory because there's so many barriers that have tried to remove the experience that mm-hmm. their their levels of care are just so evident and i i know that for our panelists but also our listeners that that deep deep critical care is what all of this just blossoms from yep 100 percent. Well, we'll be back in two weeks with another hopefully just energizing conversation like this one amazing cool. thanks everyone we'll see you again soon see you soon